Welcome to Strictly Facts, a guide to Caribbean history and culture, hosted by me, Alexandria Miller. Strictly Facts teaches the history, politics, and activism of the Caribbean and connects these themes to contemporary music and popular culture. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Strictly Facts, a guide to Caribbean history and culture. Like our last episode, we're talking about another country that exists at sort of a dual point as both Central America and the Caribbean. Joining us today, we have the fresh, hot off the press, my friend, Dr. Nicole Ramsey, joining us um, to talk about none other than a place that's near and dear to her, Belize. So, Nicole, thank you for joining us today. Tell us a bit about yourself and how you got passionate about studying Belizean history. Yes, thank you. I love that introduction. (laughs) So thank you so much for inviting me to be a guest on the podcast. I'm a big fan and I enjoy all the topics that you talk about. So I'm excited. And a lot of the topics that you also talk about connect to my own work and how I think about the Caribbean and Belize. So first off, I just graduated with my PhD in African-American diaspora studies. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm Mm -hmm. currently currently a fellow at the Woodson Institute for African-American studies at University of Virginia, um, where I'm turning my dissertation into a book. So working on the book project, I'm originally from Los Angeles, California, and both of my parents. So my family's from Belize, has deep roots in Belize, and that pretty much influenced or played a big role in how I came to study Belize. So like I've said in other spaces, Belize is a really big storytelling culture, in my opinion. So a lot of the stories that I was told when I was growing up um, from my grandma, especially about Belize, you know, as I got older, I realized like I only hear it from my family. I don't necessarily see it in history books. We barely learn about African-American history in school. So I'm just like, where do Black people and say as we can fit into that? So it became kind of me doing my own research and learning about history. In my undergrad, I went to UC Santa Cruz, and I think that was the first time that I read an article about the Garifuna, which is an Afro-Indigenous group um, throughout Central America, and they're also in Belize. And I was just fascinated, you know, about how people were writing about it. I think we read it in a class um, and people were discussing it. And it felt really nice to be able to, you know, have a discussion about something that I know about. I'm not Garifuna per se, but, you know, just Blackness in general in Central America and the Caribbean. So that kind of like sparked my interest in doing my own research on Belize in the Caribbean in general. Yeah. Definitely. And we'll have an episode on Garifuna coming up soon, guys. So we'll get way more history on that. Jumping right into our discussion today. So as I mentioned, um, Belize holds a very intricate place as both Caribbean and Central American, especially having both been colonized by Spain for over 350 years. And then later or slash in between, it's a very a little bit of a messy story, but also being under British colonial rule, particularly from 1862 to 1981. So how do you see this dual existence play out in Belizean history and culture? Thank you for saying that. You know, the word that you use messy is very much (laughs) what that looks like as it plays out through the lived experience of Belizeans and, you know, how they formulate their national identity. So like you mentioned, you know, 
the Spanish Empire occupying the area that is now Belize. And, you know, the British coming in due to like cutting logwood and importing enslaved African labor created this dynamic where you have both a Spanish historical claim to the area, as well as like a British Anglo historical claim to the area, which resulted in the formation of the Belizean nation. So, you know, you have moments where they really cling to like a Cuban style type of discourse where because of these intricate histories and claims, there's a particular type of like racelessness narrative. And, you know, to it evolving as, well, you know, this is the center of the Mayan indigenous world. So being seen as a, you know, a predominantly Mayan state. And then now you kind of have like a multicultural pluralism that is common in the Caribbean, where it's just kind of like, you know, similar to Jamaica, like out of many, one people, or like in the Belize case, Alawidawan, which is like all of us are one. So you see that play out in how the nation describes itself, how Belizeans navigate those formations of identity. And you can see that in commemorations. So, you know, September 10th, which is one of the major national holidays, also known as the Battle of St. George's Key, that is really an ethnogenesis kind of origin story of the nation, um, where, you know, Belize celebrates you know, the defeat of Spanish military forces for the land that is now Belize, which was formerly British Honduras. So that's also interesting kind of space to think about how these histories kind of merge into how the Belizean nation is formed and how they see themselves. And the fact that Belize has ties to both like CARICOM and as well as SICA in, you know, Latin America and Central America kind of speaks to both their integration into the region, but also there's a lot of marginalization there as well, um, because it's like, what do we do with this, either this English speaking Latin American country or this, you know, Caribbean country that is not an island. So it, in a sense, it also is like Guyana and Suriname and places on the South American mainland but also its ability to kind of, for Belizeans to navigate or negotiate particular types of identities based on where they see themselves within these two regions or two histories. Definitely. And even like, as you mentioned, putting the history into greater context, right? So as you mentioned, at one point, it was known as British Honduras, because as we mentioned a few episodes ago, there was this thing called the Colony of Jamaica, right? That didn't just include Jamaica. It also included Cayman Islands, Turks and Caicos, as we formerly mentioned, and also British Honduras, now Belize. And so Belize was actually a part of Colony of Jamaica, ruled by the governor of Jamaica until 1884. So these are all, you know, things, trajectories, movements, important, you know, sort of maybe mm-hmm. national impacts or not national at the time, colonial impacts rather (laughs) that are really like integral to understanding who we all are as a people today. There's another point that I definitely want to sort of get at to what you were sort of bringing up was that, you know, given Belize's long history of indigenous populations, and then obviously as well, black populations, how do you see this formation or this understanding of who is in Belize shaping, maybe challenging the understandings of the people, especially coming from multiple backgrounds? Yes, I actually really love this question. And 
I'm excited to talk about it because I do get a lot of pushback when I talk about Belize, especially Black Belizeanness and its multiplicities, because in a weird way, you know, Belize is marketed or seen as this, you know, place with multiple ethnicities, multiple groups. You know, Belize has this national identity that is very pluralist, like no one group exceeds the other. Not necessarily a melting pot, but more like how they describe it as like a boil up, which is like a, I don't know how to describe it, but you kind of have all these ingredients that make this plate. Um, so it's just very interesting to see, you know, how that plays out too, especially me when I'm talking about Blackness. And I think it's interesting because I think like some of your other guests have mentioned, particularly Melanie, like how... Belize is the Black site in Central America. You have places like Panama and, you know, the coast of Central America, like Honduras, where Blackness is there. Um, But in Belize, it's not necessarily seen as like, oh, Black people only reside on the coast. It's more of like the country is Black. And I think also, too, because it is English speaking, it's automatically racialized as you're tied to the Caribbean and the Caribbean is a Black space, regardless of what other, you know, ethnic groups are in the Caribbean, especially Indo-Caribbean. It's just, as soon as they hear the Creole or like, like Patois, it's like, what is happening? (laughs) The Blackness. So I think it is also interesting too, because Belize has a particular racial order based off of like when people come into the country. So, you know, indigenous Maya populations have been in the area since, you know, the beginning. And then you have the Garifuna who settled into Belize in, you know, the 1800s. Then you have Mestizo or, you know, the term they use for Spanish speaking folks or folks with some type of like Spanish ancestry. And then we have Mennonites and East Indians and they all kind of have this time frame of when they came into the country. And I believe like Belizean Creoles, which are the Black culture and the Black population are deemed as like there's a particular type of like indigenous feature or indigenous understanding of black creoleness in Belize that it's like you know they were here alongside the indigenous um, Garifuna as well as you know the Maya indigenous groups but what has been interesting is kind of this disregard for blackness and indigeneity at the expense of like multiculturalism But then when you turn it to popular culture, media, and even food, it's very Black and very Indigenous. And those are what uphold the country or, you know, take center stage into the identity of it. So it's just very interesting because it is, you know, Blackness and Indigeneity that get portrayed as like Belizeanness a lot of the times, while at the same time, you know, visualizing it as a multicultural space where there's just, you know, so many different influences, which is true, but Blackness and indigeneity is pretty much, you know, how it's marketed to the outside as well. Those things deserve to be upheld, as you said. So thank you definitely for sharing that sort of important, sort of more so cultural piece rather of Belizean history. Thank you. And so getting into more of our conversation I think migration, and we've talked about migration throughout various episodes, but migration definitely affects 
our region um, immensely, especially how we build community in our immediate borders. And so for Belize specifically, right, one in three Belizeans live abroad. So what has been the major causes for this movement and how has migration impacted their identities? Oh, good question. So I just kind of want to contextualize that too. I'm really interested in Belizean migration to the U.S. You know, my family is a part of that history. But then also before that, you have, you know, if we're thinking like diasporically and throughout the circum-Caribbean, Belize kind of has always been the site where multiple migrations have existed, especially for Black folks. You know, thinking about the Garifuna, who are spread out throughout different countries in Central America, but also how Garifuna and Belize have multiple migration stories and connections to different places throughout the region. And then um, you have, you know, what was happening in the Caribbean. A lot of Belizeans, Black Belizeans, can trace some ancestry to Barbados and Jamaica. So there was always these like multiple types of movement across the Caribbean and Central America. Thinking of those who went to Panama to help build a canal, the railway in Costa Rica, and then just like through labor movements and that. So Belize is already kind of this diasporic place. And a lot of the times we talk about the Caribbean and natural disasters. So, you know, Hurricane Hattie in the 1960s um, which devastated the country. And before then, there was another hurricane in 1930s that devastated the country, which kind of sparked outward migration. And in the 1960s, Hurricane Hattie, you know, brought on a Great Depression in the country. And Black Belizeans in particular, who already lived this, you know, had this disenfranchised experience in Belize, started to migrate elsewhere. Um, so a lot of the migrations from Belize to the U.S. can be traced to the 1960s, if not earlier. Uh, my parents migrated in the 1970s. So thinking of, you know, natural disasters, economic relief, and just trying to find ways to kind of leverage a better life. And for a lot of them, that looked like going to the U.S. or even to other places throughout the Commonwealth Caribbean. So yeah, and even the migration patterns were a bit different. So whereas a lot of Caribbean folks went to Florida and, you know, especially New York, Belizeans, some went to New York and Chicago, but a lot migrated through Central America and Mexico, making their way to California, Los Angeles. So that kind of puts an interesting spin on how we think of Caribbean migration in the U.S., so it's just really interesting history, Caribbean migration, specifically looking at Belizean migration. A Little Bit de Todo is a podcast about a little bit of everything for curious minds of all ages. I'm Christina, and you can tune in every weekday to learn about things like Cinco de Mayo, Chihuahuas, and volcanoes in Latin America. Episodes are bite-sized, 10 minutes long or less, and always Latin American related. Subscribe and follow A Little Bit de Todo podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Definitely. I think, as you said, you know, numerous times we think of, you know, like Miami um, mm-hmm. and New York as central locales for Caribbean life, which in a large part they are, but right, we, we may neglect that part of the story as being central. And so the like history nerd in me is like, 
when I do my timeline, right, it's like migrations, but also during the 60s, which from a U.S. context, right, is like the sort of big civil rights movement era and stuff like that. And so could you talk a bit about how that sort of migration, especially during um, that 60s after the hurricane, sort of, you know, shifted or may have impacted the identification of Belizeans moving to the U.S.? You know, also in the 1960s, um, you know, during the civil rights movement in the United States, but also that was a time where you had a lot of countries under British colonization seeking independence. So that was like a very interesting kind of dynamic because Belize didn't get their independence until 1981, but people were still being politicized in Belize, you know, UBAD, um, which was a, you know, Pan-African Black nationalist organization, which was heavily influenced by Malcolm X and, you know, Black leaders throughout the Caribbean. So there was already kind of like a race consciousness, Black consciousness happening there. I would like to know more about Belizean immigrants who migrated to the East Coast. But I do know that, you know, Belizeans who did migrate to Los Angeles, you know, having to navigate particular type of Black Caribbean identity and Black Central American identity um, in the midst of, you know, African-American, Los Angeles, and pretty much Mestizo-centered Latinx and Central American groups. I think it really played a role in like the racialization of Belizeans. A lot of them kind of integrated into, you know, areas of Los Angeles that were predominantly Black. Um, which I'm pretty sure is the case for a lot of Belizeans who migrated elsewhere to places like New York and Chicago and Miami. So you kind of have that particular type of racialization. And of course, being English speaking, there's kind of this familiarity with other folks, especially Black folks who also speak English. But a lot of the politicization and Black consciousness of Belizeans that I see today is heavily traced back to like the 1960s and 70s during that time and when they migrated. So it's really interesting and fascinating kind of history. And sort of as a result of this movement, how have you seen Belizeans upholding these connections and relationships with their country, um, whether they live, you know, abroad or not, but also, as you mentioned, navigating this sort of understanding or maybe shift in culture and things like of that nature, especially if they have migrated abroad? Oh, yes. Well, I definitely see it. You know, there's a saying in Los Angeles, and I'm just speaking for the Los Angeles case, because I think that's where we have the biggest community. In the Los Angeles case, there was like a running joke that it's like, you know, you don't ever have to go back to visit Belize, really, because it's all right there. Um, You know, you have churches that Belizeans attend dance halls that they attend, restaurants, like some of these markers within the community and definitely kind of having these associations and organizations. Like in Los Angeles in the 1970s, Belizean diaspora groups and politicized Belizean diasporic groups were really big and a lot of them are still running today in Los Angeles. So that was kind of a way for them to keep tabs on what's happening in the home country, considering a lot of Belizeans migrated before, you know, Belize was independent. So there was kind of always this deep connection to the place still. For example, like there are some things like there was a, you know, a border territory dispute between Guatemala and Belize. 
And Belizeans in the diaspora, as shown on social media, really mobilized to get their voices heard and wanting to vote so that they can partake in this issue that has been happening since a lot of them were children. The Belizean diaspora focus and its connection to the Belizean state is still intact. And you even have Belizeans who, especially retired Belizeans who live in Belize for six months and then will go back to the U.S. for six months. So kind of living in this in-between space. So even though I talk about Belize and L.A. as separate places, I mean, they are. Um, but to Belizeans is just kind of like an extension of the Belizean nation or Belizeanness. Yeah, I think that's an important point, especially with these patterns of migration, right? And the fact that, especially in our technological age now, we can still have these connections, especially with, you know, such a vast number of Belizeans living abroad. It's important, I think, for that to just sort of be acknowledged that, you know, while people may not live in the country proper, per se, quote unquote, those ties still remain in a lot of very tangible ways that, you know, may not be felt in an in-person basis, but definitely on a technological scale. Mm -hmm, Definitely. And I'm also thinking about, you know, Caraboy Stavey's book on Caribbean spaces. And just the fact that, you know, wherever Caribbean people are, that's where the nation is. And, you know, through music, dance, food, culture, politics. So I kind of reoriented my thinking of the Caribbean as that way, you know, extending beyond what she calls small space, because, you know, the Caribbean and Belize especially um, is deemed as this, you know, this very small place, but it's so dynamic and has so much influence and impact on the places, you know, that they end up, whether in Canada, New York, Virginia, maybe, I don't know. I've yet to see it, but I'm sure it's here. And yeah, definitely in these places. Now, the music person in me would be remiss without mentioning that, you know, for all of my 90s and early 2000s hip hop fans, um, one Belizean who definitely comes to mind for me is rapper turned politician Shine, also known as now Moses Michael Levi Barrow, who was recently elected into the House of Representatives just last year. And so given his sort of own story as being born in Belize, migrates to the U.S., Um, and obviously is now back in Belize working in government. What are your hopes for Belizeans at home and abroad moving forward? How do you hope, rather, that they um, continue to either connect these stories and histories of migration and still definitely have these ties back home? Thank you for Ring of Shine, because that's always my my favorite example when people are just like, Belize, you know, tell me more. And I'm like, do you know Shine, the rapper? Belize. So I always kind of have these people that I have in my arsenal to bring out, Simone Biles and things like that. But an interesting thing, like you mentioned with Shine, is um, his ties to two different places. So New York, uh, specifically Brooklyn, which has a significant Belizean population as well, and then Belize City. And most recently, Shine took, you know, historic trip um, to the U.S., where he engaged in communication, not only with the African-American community and African-American politicians, but really engaged with diasporic communities in these places. So I know he went to New York, Chicago, I believe, Atlanta, and LA, places that have significant populations. 
I'm really appreciative to see kind of like this push to include the diaspora more, especially Black Belizeans, that push to include them more in like matters of the country. Um, because again, you know, more Belizeans are starting to live outside of the country than within and migration is steadily increasing every year. So it's really nice to see these connections being had. And, you know, from my personal experience growing up in Los Angeles, where you go to school with someone and then, you know, they have a particular last name and it's very common that you go to your parents and you're like, oh, this person's last name is Tillit. And they're like, okay, I know his aunt. I know this person. So it's kind of like this for, you know, second generations and third, this network that we don't even know we're a part of, but was forged by the community association through our grandparents, our parents. So I'm definitely starting to see that more too, second generations being more in tune with, you know, the culture and the history of Belize and wanting to really express that in all forms, whether through social media, art, um, there's a few artists out there that are incorporating, you know, Belizean history based off of storytelling into their works. So I think that's my hope to really leverage that association with those in the diaspora, especially, you know, the second, third, fourth generations, because I think it is important and does speak to the role and the impact that Belizean culture and identity have in, you know, these spaces in the North. Thank you so much. That's such an interesting, you know, point of view, especially when we consider how movement and, you know, especially as generations of us maybe, you know, grow up outside of our family's home origins, how we continue to work together as one and still be a people. And so for my favorite question, of course, what are some of your favorite examples of Belizean history in contemporary music and popular culture? Ooh, in contemporary. <laughs> so I feel like I'm still learning more about like Belizean, you know, contemporary artists. There's a mix between those like myself who are Belizean American that you don't necessarily find out are Belizean until something. And then there's those that are within the country and making a lot of reggae music and things like that. So if I were to give someone an example of like a Belizean style of music, Andy Palacio is probably my favorite. You know, a Garifuna Belizean punta musician, unfortunately he's no longer here with us, but a lot of his music um, goes from punta to, you know, traditional paranda Garifuna music. And it's just really beautiful. His song Watina is my favorite. Um, so I play it often. An honorable mention for like Calypso Rose, who has a song about Belize that I really like. <laughs> see, and that gets to all these ties, right? Yeah. Because Calypso Rose, see, migrations. Look at that. Exactly. <laughs> and she's pretty much an honorary Belizean, too, for like, you know, always performing in the country and the tributes that she has to Belizean culture, which is beautiful. Like you said, that connection. Yeah. Oyago, stay tuned for Strictly Fact Sounds, where we connect our history to pop culture. In addition to Nicole's amazing musical selections, 
this Strictly Facts Sounds, we're also suggesting two notable works by Belizean writer and professor Zelma Inez Edgel, otherwise known as Z. Edgel. Edgel's first two novels, Becca Lamb and In Times Like These, were published in 1982 and 1991, respectively. Becca Lamb chronicles the nationalist movement while Belize was still under British rule and earned Britain's Fawcett Society Book Prize in 1982. Her follow-up novel, In Times Like These, charts Belize's post-independence history and turmoil with neighboring country Guatemala. Have you read any of Edgel's novels before? Send us a DM and let us know. And in the meantime, we hope you enjoy. So, Nicole, thank you for joining us. Brand. Thank you for having me. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Please let everyone know where they can find you and your amazing work on social media. Yes. So you can find me. My social media accounts are Instagram. I think it's here is Nikki. Nikki spelled N-I-C-K-Y. And then Twitter, I believe I'm at Nicole underscore D underscore Rams, R-A-M-S on Twitter. And those are where you can find me. And just the Google, you can probably find some of the work or the pieces that I've written. So yeah. Perfect. Yes. As y'all know, you know, I link everything in the show notes um, and <laughs> more links will also always be on the syllabus online on our website, strictlyfactspod.com. So Nicole, again, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode a little more. Thanks for tuning in to Strictly Facts. Visit strictlyfactspodcast.com for more information from each episode. Follow us at Strictly Facts Pod on Instagram and Facebook and at Strictly Facts PD on Twitter.